sermon text for this morning, church family, comes from Acts. We're kind of picking up in the middle of the story, aren't we? Pastor Jalisa preached the first half last week. Acts chapter 15. Starting at verse 22. Somebody have a page number? 1718. Okay, thanks, Ron. So we heard very briefly, we heard last week that uh, some people from Jerusalem came down to Antioch and introduced this teaching, tried to convince the believers there, you need to be circumcised. You need to have the sign of the Old Testament covenant and you need to follow the Jewish law in order to be saved. And that this was really, really disturbing and um, brought them into sharp division with Paul and uh, Barnabas, who were the teachers there. And so they went to Jerusalem and met with the leaders of the church in Jerusalem, and they they did this discernment work together, that know, in fact, the Lord is not calling Gentile believers, non-Jewish people, to have to follow the law uh, in order to be saved. We attempt to follow the law as a response to the grace of God. Right? The law of God is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law is summed up in these. And Jesus told us in the Sermon on the Mount, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you need a righteousness that's far deeper than the Pharisees who, who, um, follow the law. Uh, that's a, a righteous heart that longs to follow and please God as a response to the grace that comes through Jesus. So the church in Jerusalem affirmed the centrality of Jesus' work on the cross, his death, his resurrection, and they they um, said, we're just going to tell these Gentile believers not to involve themselves in sexual immorality or in sacrifices or the, 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 um, the meat from strangled animals and from blood. And that, Pastor Jesus explained to us that's a reference to the uh, pagan temples and the way that they would have worshipped in the various aspects of religion that they were coming out of as they converted to Jesus. So they weren't giving them a new law. They were just saying, you've come out of one way of worshipping and here and now uh, you're going to avoid those things as we worship the living God. So here we pick up in the middle of the story, verse 22. Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. Let's remember Antioch is 300 miles from Jerusalem, 20 days on foot going 15 miles a day. This is no small sacrifice. They chose Judas called Barsabas and Silas, two men who were leaders among the brothers. With them, they sent the following letter. The apostles and elders your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. We've heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, We are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good 
to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You're to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. The men were sent off and went down to Antioch, where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the brothers and sisters. After spending some time there, they were sent off by the brothers with the blessing of peace to return to those who sent them. Then you see a little text note, and if you look at the bottom, it'll say to you, some manuscripts have verse 34 here, but Silas decided to remain there. Uh, And it seems really likely because the next section talks about Paul taking Silas with him. And then verse 35 finishes, but Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Mm-hmm. So we've had a we've had a hurricane this past week called Michael, and I don't know if you've been following it on the news, but I'd like to show a brief thirty-second uh, clip just before you start that. Hold up a sec here. Thanks. Um, could you hit the lights, Ray, and turn them all off? And here's what I'd like you to watch. In this clip, okay, it's 30 seconds from a news clip. Watch the trees under the weight of the wind. Watch the trees. It's 155 mile an hour winds. Go ahead. That's good. Thanks. You stop it there. Thanks, Ray. I don't know how many of you um, saw on the news afterwards pictures, but the you know the trees in this video were still standing when we watched them. But by the time this storm was over, it was like matchsticks lying crisscrossed everywhere. I mean, trees down by the thousands and thousands. And what I found really interesting as I looked at those pictures is it seemed like they were all down in one of two ways. Either the root system wasn't strong enough to hold the tree in place and the whole tree went over, or these massive trees snapped right in the middle. Because, again, a root system problem, they weren't drawing enough water and these were the dry trees. And so I've been thinking about trees and wind and pressure this week because the Bible compares us or use the images to talk about us as believers as trees. Psalm 1 says that trees planted by streams of living water will produce fruit. Isaiah 61 says that under the ministry of Jesus, we will become like oaks of righteousness. So I've just been thinking about us believers as trees and the way that winds come against trees to pressure them. And um, 
I've been thinking about many different winds that we experience. Um, Winds of hardship. Hardship blows on us. If you just think of, use this image of strong winds as sustained pressure. Okay, underneath the influence of that wind, these trees didn't get to bend back up. They were just under pressure continually from that wind. Bending, bending. So, winds of hardship, trials that we go through, like pressures pushing on us. Winds of discouragement. We go through seasons where all feels hard and discouraging and it's like we're being pressed on by something. Winds of adversity. Winds of resistance to our faith. And when we face winds, when we face strong and sustained pressure as we as believers, we need something holding us up that's more than like that little rope that you see people hold up to, to tie up a tree uh, in the in the wintertime. Sometimes you have three little ropes, you know, so it doesn't fall over. New trees, you know, you got a new tree planted and you get the three little ropes. Well, no little ropes holding those trees up. Those trees need strong, strong support. If the root system's not good, they need strong support to hold them up. And I've been thinking about Trees and people and support because uh, this this uh, group of believers. What's wrong with my mic? Do you need me to go a little quieter? No. Um, this group of believers in Antioch, I, th- I think they're under incredible pressure. So they're under pressure in multiple different ways, and it's like you know the that's the storm when it came and hit. Four days before the storm hit, it was nothing but a tropical storm. And all of a sudden it got upgraded and upgraded and upgraded. And the, it's like the pressure kept rising and the, the winds kept getting stronger and stronger. Well, that's, that's what it feels like these Genoa believers are, are going through. Because first of all, they've got Rome going, you, uh, you people believe in uh, one God. You say there's only one God. And you think that God's a man? That a man was a God? And uh, we hung him on a cross, and you're trying to tell us that he rose from the dead? Like, <laughs> come on. <laughs> They're the laughing stock of the Roman Empire, these weak Christians. So they're scorned and they're mocked and they're getting pressured from those winds. But then if that isn't enough, now they've got the Jewish community around them, scorning them, rejecting them, persecuting them. Because they're saying that Jesus is the Messiah and the Jewish community doesn't agree. They're being kicked out of the synagogues. They're being separated from their families. So the pressure's increasing. Now it's not just the Romans out there, but it's the Jewish community right here, right around us. These people that are loved ones, friends and family. Now the pressure's getting stronger. And now this morning, actually we find out that the pressure's even stronger. Because now it's not just right out there. Now it's false teachers inside the church that they've got to stand up against, right? So the winds are getting stronger and stronger in terms of them just staying rooted, just staying planted in this confession, Jesus is Lord. I believe in him. I follow him. I obey him. I love him. And just to stand in that confession is hard for these people. And so these these Genoa believers in Antioch They need strengthening. They need support. And that's why it's so beautiful that believers don't just say, here's a letter, and uh, here you go. Paul and Barnabas, you can take this back. It's got our seal of approval on it. 
but they send leaders from the church. They send prophets. And I think the most important part of this text is when it gets to that point where it says, and Paul or Judas and Silas said much to strengthen them. If you want to use an image, Nick, could you come join me here for a sec? Let's just pretend Nick is the tree, okay? And he's, he's bent by the wind. He's got Roman pressure on one side. He's got Jewish family pressure on another side. Now he's got voices around him inside the church, false teachers leaning on him, and he's being blown. Paul talks about being blown back and forth by every teaching. It's a real thing. And Nick's trying to stand. And this is what a prophet does. He comes up against him. He's being blown, and the prophet holds him. And he speaks strength to him. And he says, you can do this. These winds of adversity, they will pass. It will not always feel this strong. You can stand. The Lord is with you. The Lord strengthens you. The Lord will not leave you. He will not forsake you. He is proud of you. They speak the word of God to them. You are not the only one who has gone through this. Believers have gone through this down through the ages. Keep rooted in Jesus and in the truth prophet strengthens that's what paul tells us in first corinthians 14 strengthens, encourages and comforts so that when the prophet is done ministering the believer is able to stand and the roots have gone deeper and the water has come up and they're not as dry they're able to stand on the truth against the winds that push on them Thanks, Nick. So here's the grace of God in today's text. That the God, the Bible calls, Paul calls God the God of all comfort. That God knows what winds of adversity every single one of us face in order to remain faithful and true to Jesus Christ. And that he sends, that he gives the gift of prophets, that he gives the gift of people who speak life in his name, who speak truth when we need to hear it, and who help to keep us grounded and firm. Now, friends, we aren't dealing with this issue. Nobody is trying to convince us in this place that we need to be circumcised or that we need to obey the Jewish law. We aren't facing that pressure. But we are facing many different pressures on us to be faithful to Jesus Christ and to the word of God. And I want to talk to you this morning. I want to apply the sermon in a very specific way. I want to talk about one pressure that we haven't talked about publicly as a church family, but that I believe is a, is a corporate pressure just like the the believers in Antioch were facing a corporate pressure together. And here's that pressure. It's around the issue of human sexuality, and in particular, same-sex relationships and same-sex marriages. I began to meditate on what, what kind of pressure we were facing, and this topic came to mind. And I said to Pastor Jean, I ran it by her, I said, I really feel led to talk about this on Sunday morning. What do you think? And she said, yes, you need to. We need to. We've been talking about it for a while. And she shared this with me. I don't know how many of you have seen this, but this is a like six-page article 
that was on the front page of the Grand Rapids Press two weeks ago, Sunday. Uh, begins there and then continues on in the perspective section. And the article is all about college students on Christian campuses that are coming out and declaring to the community that they're gay and then how the campus is interacting with that news. And uh, I want to just share a couple of things from this article with you. Let me read Let me read to you first the, what do you call it, Neil, when the paragraph that describes it? The lead. Some Christian colleges in Michigan have policies on how LGBTQ students can express themselves. Those policies are putting Christian colleges at odds with societal pressure to affirm the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer community. The result is a tangle of theology and practice as college administrators try to find middle ground. They proclaim love for all people, but condemn same-sex relationships and conspicuous cross-dressing. They say they support LGBTQ students, but do not affirm aspects of who those students are. They welcome students to campus, but only if students act in a certain way. Current LGBTQ students and alumni are pushing back, refusing to choose between their sexuality and their faith. Can you hear the tone in the paragraph in the way it's bringing judgment on um, the church and particularly the college campuses for for the way in which they're trying to represent the Lord? Before I say anything more about this, let me say that I'm all too aware that this is a large, multifaceted topic and that this morning in the sermon, I don't intend to wade very deeply at all into it, but that Pastor Gina and I would love to have a, a broader conversation as a congregation. We welcome you to come talk to us and say, this is a conversation we'd like to have. These are the questions we have. These are what This is what we're wondering about. But I do want to be very clear and um, just read to you our from our, our denomination's website what our church's uh, understanding or position on this issue is. It's going to sound a little dry because that's what position statements sometimes sound like. Okay, I'll flush it out in a second. Um, the CRC position on homosexuality established by Synod 1973 and affirmed by several subsequent synods, is summarized in the following definitions and statements of pastoral advice that were recommended to Christian Reformed churches. Homosexuality is a condition of personal identity in which a person is sexually oriented toward persons of the same sex. Homosexualism is explicit and overt homosexual practice. A homosexual is a person who has erotic attractions for members of the same sex and who may or may not engage in homosexualism. And then here's a brief statement of pastoral advice. Homosexuality is a condition in which a person is sexually oriented toward persons of the same sex and for which the person may bear only minimal responsibility. Persons of same-sex attraction 
may not be denied community acceptance solely because of their sexual orientation and should be wholeheartedly received by the church and giving, given loving support and encouragement. Same-sex oriented Christians, like all Christians, are called to discipleship, holy obedience, and the use of their gifts in the cause of the kingdom of God. Opportunities to serve within the offices and life of the congregation should be afforded to same-sex oriented Christians as well as to heterosexual Christians. Homosexualism, that is explicit homosexual practice, however, is incompatible with obedience to the will of God as revealed in Scripture. The church affirms that it must exercise the same compassion for same-sex-oriented persons in their sins as it exercises for all other sinners. The church should do everything in its power to help persons with same-sex orientation and give them support toward healing and wholeness. And then it concludes by saying, a synodical report titled Pastoral Care for Homosexual Members is available. So the the gist of it is that um, same-sex attraction is one example of disordered sexual desires, one among many, okay? So lust is a disordered sexual desire. Engaging in sexual behavior outside of marriage, disordered desire. Desire to have more than one sexual partner at a time. An example of a disordered desire. And so the basic premise is that to have a desire isn't to commit a sin. To act on the desire is to step into sin or to disobedience to God's revealed will. And that when asked the question, the Bible's perspective is that being same-sex oriented is something that was not a part of the creation. It was not a part of God's creational intent and design. When we think about creation, we think about God celebrating. We think about his statements, and it was good. And God does not look on same-sex attraction and relationships and say, this is what I created and intended, and it is good. That's not what the Bible reflects to us. Okay? So, is that clear? Okay. It's one thing to know this and believe it. It is an entirely other thing to then have to live out of this worldview or biblical view in relationship with people whom we love and who feel and believe differently. And what I want us to hear this morning is that we need strengthening in the truth because what may have looked like a tropical storm off in the Caribbean 15 or 20 years ago is now an approaching Category 3, 4, and 5 hurricane for the church. I said to Alita before the service in the prayer room, your generation, 
Where's Alita? Your generation couldn't imagine that we would ever have to deal with this issue in the church. And so just like those Christians in Antioch who are dealing with Rome and then the Jews in the synagogue and now false teaching within, so we in the church are dealing not just with the pressure of the world, who kind of like Rome mocking the the Gentile believers, mocks us and can't believe that anybody would ever even consider that this was wrong. But actually, we're also dealing with pressure from within the church. Massively. Uh, I don't know how much you're experiencing this, but I receive emails from a group called All One Body that is trying to bring this teaching into the Christian Reformed Church. I have many friends who are part of the Presbyterian Church of the United States of America, and the PCUSA shares very, very similar roots with our denomination, very traditional, come right out of the Reformation beside each other. One was originally Scottish and the other originally Dutch. Thank God we're really ethnically diverse now, but, but those were our roots, but they were both very Reformed, theologically Reformed. The PCUSA is ordaining homosexuals in the ministry. And um, beyond that, can no longer affirm the singular saving lordship of Jesus Christ. They've changed their language to say Jesus is unique. Well, Buddha is unique. And Muhammad is unique. Jesus didn't come and say, I'm unique. He said, I'm the only way to the Father. I am the way and the truth and the life. And so, here's the danger. Seeds look really small. But seeds can grow up from small things into really big things. An oak tree starts with an acorn. But if you let a seed, remember with Ananias and Sapphira, why was God's judgment so strong on them? Because intentional deceit, if it was allowed to grow up within the church, would pervert the character of the body of Christ, who is the truth. If this is allowed to grow up within the church, what it produces is walking away, eventually walking away from the Lord. The PCUSA isn't the only denomination that no longer affirms the singular saving lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are many others that now say Jesus is one way. He's not the way. But where did that begin? It didn't begin with a, a challenge to the lordship of Jesus. It began with allowing something to take root in the heart of the church and its beliefs that wasn't true. It was deceitful. So when Paul writes to the church in Ephesus and he says to them, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't give the devil a foothold. That metaphor is extremely important and helpful. When you take unresolved anger and you let it sit in your heart, you are are refusing to forgive, which is refusal to obey God. So when, which is rebellion, okay? Refusal to walk in obedience to the revealed will of God in scripture is rebellion. 
If you let rebellion take root in you, you now have given room for deception to grow. So these denominations that have walked away from the gospel and from the singular saving lordship of Jesus began by allowing something that wasn't true to take root within their hearts and their faith statements. Now, it does not matter if that beginning started because they love and want to empathize and be compassionate. Those are beautiful, beautiful motivations. But we may and must not love and empathize and be compassionate in any other way than what Jesus Christ himself did. And Jesus gave himself to death for sin that we might become new creations. Not that we might take disordered parts of the old creation and affirm them. Ever. We don't ever take something that the Bible calls unholy, even in the Old Testament, abominable and in the new in revelation it says those who live in sexual immorality will not inherit the kingdom of god we don't take clear statements like that and begin then turning them around and saying that this is something holy and good and ordained of god now i don't think people start by intending to twist things like that but Not all the pressure that comes to us is as obvious as a 155 mile an hour hurricane wind. It starts subtle and it starts slowly. And so I want to say to you this morning, church, that you and I, that we together need to be equipped again, back to the image of the trees, which trees fell, not rooted, not drawing sap, not drawing water, dry and unrooted. We're living in a generation in the church that doesn't know the word of God. It's the most illiterate in terms of knowing and understanding the word of God. So I want to commend a book to you um, for further reading. This is called, What Does the Bible Really Teach About Homosexuality? One of the best books I've read on this subject. It's by a Reformed Church pastor out of Lansing named Kevin DeYoung. Great resource. This is not an extended resource on pastoral care, on how to love and be empathetic, though it very much touches on those things. It's a resource on what does the Bible say? Because if we come ungrounded or unattached from a source of truth, we have gone full-blown into rebellion. And so all of us, as much as we want to love and be empathetic and compassionate, must first and foremost be grounded and rooted in the truth. And again, this takes us back to the place and to the role of prophets. God's grace to us is that he doesn't just tell us to obey. And I, here, here's a little background. Our denomination is studying this issue again. That position statement said it's affirmed it multiple times. Well, coming under recent pressure in the last few years, the domination said, let's do another full um, 
study committee on human sexuality, not just same-sex attraction, but all, all of human sexuality. And I'm very confident that that uh, position statement, that study is going to come back and it's going to affirm what our denomination has said is biblical from the beginning. But uh, it's one thing to be handed an extended piece of paper. It's another thing to then in, internalize truth and then go out into relationships and families where there's strong resistance to this, isn't it? So, you know, I, I happened to notice in this newspaper article that one of the students in here from Calvin graduated from a local Christian high school in Granville. I thought, huh, I wonder if that's Calvin. And sure enough, this is a student that Nate knew and whose family Nate knew. And he could tell me something of the pain of the situation, right? Very painful. So uh, we aren't talking about things that are far away. Uh, I don't know how many of you, this is something that's at arm's length, but I think all of us have family members, friends, community that are either um, same-sex attracted themselves or are believers who are changing their minds. This article, the same article said, 54 percent of U.S. Christians surveyed in 2014 by the Pew Research Center say homosexuality should be accepted by society. More than 35,000 Americans from all 50 states were surveyed. That's sobering. That's over half that's in the church. This isn't, again, this isn't a tropical storm far off somewhere. This is a, a, a hurricane. And I, I don't, I mean, that sounds really intense, but I don't back off of that image because this has the potential to do the same kind of catastrophic damage that we just saw Hurricane Michael do to Florida. And friends, Jesus grieves. Jesus grieves that Christians are dropping like trees in Hurricane Michael. That Christians are walking away from the truth. It does not matter to him that it flows out of an effort to be loving and empathetic. He loves more than any of us could. He understands love. But love, sometimes, the best way to love is what I read at the bottom of one of this, the article. One college said, the best way to show, show students love is to help them to obey the known will of God. Some people say love equates to license and others to acceptance. But scripture is clear that love is obedience We create an environment that helps all people try to figure out what that looks like for them to walk in obedience to the will of God. So how are we, how are we strengthened to be those trees, to be those Christians that stand and that um, bear witness to the light and life of Jesus. Because this isn't just about standing and not falling. 
You know, when one tree falls, sometimes it takes another one and another one and another one with it. And when one tree stands, then sometimes the ones behind him are able to stand. How do we become those not only who stand, but who are able to then bring the light and life of Jesus to others? Well, I think in large part, this is the role of prophets and of prophecy. So let me just wrap up this way. We've bumped into prophets now in Acts over and over and over. And we haven't talked a whole lot about them. We've talked about prophecy out of 1 Corinthians 14. So let me just say, what's the difference between prophecy and prophets? What, what, is, what is one who prophesies? One who strengthens, encourages, and comforts. Brings a word from God who strengthens, encourages, and comforts. So that's one who prophesies. What's a prophet? Somebody who does that a whole lot. It's and whom the church recognizes as being used by God in this particular way. So here's an example. Pastor Gina used to be on a staff at another church on the other side of town, and uh, she was not a pastor on staff. She was a director of ministry in a certain area. But uh, after a number of years, people kept coming to her and saying, "You know, you're—I know you're a director, but you're—you're you're really pastor. You—we really see you as pastor." You know, you, you just relate to us as a pastor and, um, all the information coming. You're a pastor. You, you, this is what you do. You pastor us. Well, what was happening there was they were trying to find language to give articulation to the way she was functioning. They were experiencing the gifting of pastoring. God had anointed her to care for others, strengthen them in the truth, bring the word of God to them. She was shepherding people. That's what she was doing. And they were finding language to articulate that. And so through that process of discerning, the spirit is working in Pastor Gina this way. She discerned, well, God's calling me. I'm going to go get prepared to be pastor since I'm people are already identifying that gifting in me. And so you can see how there's a, a growth or a lot a progression in um, recognizing gifting and growing into it. And it's discerned by the church and community. So it is with prophecy and prophets. We've got people prophesying all, all the time at Gold Avenue Church. Every time we have prayer partners up here after a worship service, they are strengthening, encouraging, comforting people. They're using their gifts to build people up. And so um, we are, we're growing as a church that learns how to hear the voice of God and to minister the word of God one to another. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually have us end there. And I would like to invite us to sing this song together. How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord. It's an old hymn, but the words are really rich. And I, and I just, I want to, um, as the worship team's coming up, just pray for us that the Lord would strengthen all of us to stand. And, um, particularly if there's anyone here that's really struggling this morning with, over this issue, if there's confusion, just pray for the grace of God to minister truth. So Lord, thank you. For your faithfulness to us, thank you that you stood all the way to Calvary. That you stood and you resisted evil. You resisted what was opposite the will of God all the way to the point of shedding your own blood. The word of God tells us in Hebrews that we ought to consider it pure joy. No, that's James. When we face trials of many kinds... Hebrews says, Hebrews says, 
that you, the author and pioneer of our faith, um, counted it joy, counted it joy, uh, and considered it pure joy that you that you would endure and persevere under struggle. And so, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen the whole church, every one of us. You know where we're struggling. You know if there's winds of hardship and difficulty other than this issue we talked about this morning that people are struggling under. And so, Lord, I ask that in those areas you would minister encouragement, that you would draw people forward for prayer, that you would strengthen. But, Lord, in this area in particular, I pray that you would refine and purify your church to love people and to hate what you call evil. Jude says, even the, um, even the garments, don't touch the garments of those that are, that are stained by sin. Lord, you call us just to run from sin. And so, Lord, I pray that you would ground us all the more strongly in the truth of your word and that you would um, bring repentance and revival afresh in this nation. In the name of Jesus.